Amen. James chapter 3, 1 through 12. We'll get there in just a moment. I want to have you imagine for a moment it is 1776 in New York City. And a young and an aspiring Alexander Hamilton uh, walks up to a man that he looks up to, a man named Aaron Burr. Aaron Burr would eventually become the vice president of the United States. But in this moment, Hamilton is looking for a way to succeed in life. As a recent graduate of Princeton, he's asking Burr advice. How do I get ahead? And Lin-Manuel Miranda, in his musical Hamilton, imagines Burr's response by writing in the song this answer. You want to get ahead. He says, talk less. Smile more. Don't let them know what you're against or what you're for. You see, today in our passage, James chapter 3, we're going to hear about the power and the capable destruction of our words. We're going to hear in God's word the potential that you and I have to use our words for Christ or to use our words in worldly ways that cause destruction. But as we're going to see, maybe ask the question, is James really agreeing with that advice from Burr? Would James really agree that talking less in our lives is the way that you and I can tame our tongues? If you're aware, every single day we use 20 to 40,000 words in our language. Maybe some of us speak more, some of us speak less, but that's the average. And the human uh, English language has about 150,000 words in its lexicon. So maybe as we think about the topic of taming our tongue today, it's going to challenge our process to think it's not just about our word count, but about our word usage and how we speak and what we speak on and the things that we're passionate about. And so I want to read our passage today and then we're going to unpack today four pressing realities about our tongue. Uh, pressing realities that will challenge you and I in light of God's word about how do we use our language and our speech for Christ. And so let's begin by reading in verse 1 of James chapter 3. And we'll read through verse 12. It says, Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. For we all stumble in many ways, and if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he's a perfect man able also to bridle his whole body. If we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Look at the ships also. Though they are so large and driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder wherever the will of the pilot directs. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird, of reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. With it, we bless our Lord and Father, and with it, we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. 
My brothers, my sisters, this, these things ought not to be so. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives or a grapevine produce fig trees, fig fruit? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. The word of the Lord. Have you ever thought about the words uh, that you use? Have you ever thought about your speech? Have you ever maybe just taken a moment during a day and, and considered the inventory of the types of words that you use in your life? I don't think that's a practice that many of us do. In fact, even as we read James chapter 3 here, maybe it's stirring for us new thoughts or, or new convictions about what God's word says about our speech. In fact, I think most often we do this in our lives when we misspeak. When we catch ourselves in that moment, when we say something that we didn't quite mean to say, or, or as it leaves our mouth, we wish we could take it back. That's often when we maybe take an inventory of the types of words that we use. And so today in our passage, I want us to think about speech, but I, I don't want you necessarily to feel like this is something that I got figured out uh, and that you all have to work on. This is something that I challenge myself to regularly in my life also. In fact, I want to share an example with you. A number of years uh, on staff at Hope Oakville, I served in children's ministry. And uh, one year, I was crafting this email to all of our parents, and I was sharing with them just about our passion for discipling children, you know, very much aligned with the camp video we saw today. Uh, and we were just communicating, here's our heart to disciple your children. So I wrote this email, and I sent it out to all the parents in our church at Hope Oakville, and after a short period of time, one of our staff spouses had emailed me back and she said, hey, Greg, you know, thanks for the email. I think I know what you're trying to say, but I think you might want to double check and just read through the email and take a look at what you wrote. So I quickly went back to the email. I thought, well, what did I say? I've proofread this and I come down to the spot that she had directed my attention. I want to show you on the screens what I had said in the email to all of our families. Do we have the screen of what that says? Okay, so this is what I said. Simply put... We care deeply about effectively disciplining your child. Two letters made all the difference. And I caught myself in that moment saying, that is not what I meant to say. I meant to say discipling. And so I quickly redrafted this email to all of our parents again, just kind of making light and, and having a little bit of comedy on this and resent it out, saying, ha, ha, ha. What I meant to say was this because I misspoke. You know, taming our tongue and thinking about our speech is something that we all struggle with in our lives. But why do we do this? Why do we get ourselves into situations where if we were to look back and reflect on our words, we would say, yeah, you know, I, I probably shouldn't have said that. Or when I said that, I didn't quite recognize the harm that it was going to cause. Or maybe I did recognize the harm it would cause. And, and maybe now in repentance, I recognize that that is not honoring to the Lord. So today, as I mentioned, we're going to see four pressing realities about our tongue. And I want to begin with the first one in the first couple of verses. And so if you're taking notes or, or have an outline today, pressing reality number one is this. That my tongue clearly calls for stricter judgment. My tongue calls for stricter judgment. And we're going to see this in the first two verses uh, in James 3. So let's look back there again. James begins this passage and says, Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. I want to pause there for a moment. 
You know, this is similar to what Matthew uh, tells us about how Jesus in chapter 12 said something similar. He said, by your words, by our words, we will be condemned or we will be uh, justified. You know, in our world today, when we think about this concept, as James is beginning to help us think about how our words can trap us or they can condemn us, as Jesus said in Matthew, this is what we hear in our world called the Miranda Laws. If you're caught in something in criminal activity or, or maybe you're um, seized in a moment where they need to bring you into a courtroom setting, what they will often say to you in the Miranda Laws is you have the right to remain silent. Anything that you say can and will be used against you in a court of law. And so this is similar to what Jesus says as well, that anything in that moment you are going to say could be used against you to bind you, to trap you, to condemn you, as it says in Matthew. So as James begins our passage today, it's in some ways a strange way to begin a topic about the tongue. He's giving a warning saying, hey, just, to, just so you know, if anyone is aspiring to communicate, particularly if anyone's aspiring to communicate and to teach the word of God, you need to be reminded that that is something that could bind you, that your words condemn you. Now, maybe for some of us here today, just maybe to not take the wind out of your sails, I think it's important to recognize that if the Lord is working in your life to want to become a group leader or want to be able to teach in a ministry, or maybe some of you are, are young and feel like the Lord is calling you into vocational ministry, what James is not saying is do not aspire to those things. That's, he's not saying that. He's saying for all of us, though, that the use of our words and our lives should be caution for us to think about, why do I want to do this? What is my intention? What is my motive? And as we're going to unpack later on, there is a consequence for those in their life who do not do this well. Or there's potential harm that we will see can be caused for those who do not consider the weight of their words and how they're used to either bless God and bring glory to him or to also curse him as well. And so as James begins, he gives this warning. He says that those who want to teach should be cautioned because they will be judged with greater strictness. In the same way the word of God teaches that those who teach the word faithfully will be rewarded for doing so, there is also a double consequence for those who do not do this faithfully in their lives. But then in verse two, we can see, let's continue on now. James is not giving us this message. He's the half-brother of Jesus. He's seen Jesus' ministry, his teaching, and he's thinking, this is not just a message I have for you, he sees himself within this. Look at the third word, likely, in your translation in verse 2. It says, for we all stumble. He's not just saying this is for young and aspiring Bible teachers or for home group leaders in training or for those who want to teach in ministry or, or however the Lord might want to use you. He's saying this is for all of us. For we all stumble in many ways. And then James plays a little comedy in how he finishes this verse. He says, and if anyone thinks that they don't stumble, you can see it in the verse, if anyone thinks that they don't stumble in what they say, they're perfect. Perfect man, perfect woman. And if you're perfect and you have control over your speech, then as, the, as he writes it, he says, then you're probably also to keep control over all areas of your life because the speech is quite the feat if you can do that. And so he begins our passage with a caution to have the right motives because of the consequence. 
And he's transitioning now and saying, this is something that we all have to think about. Whether you're a Bible teacher or just someone in your life, we all stumble and no one's perfect. Only Jesus Christ is perfect. And so we have to think about the fact that um, this is a passage today for us to consider in our lives. How do we use our speech? Does it bless or does it curse? And so whether you're aspiring to one of these things or not, this is what we need to think about today. So the first pressing reality is that our tongues or our words are a cause for us to think about stricter judgment. And that is why I want us to think today about the words that we use, about how do we tame our tongues and keep them at bay because James is saying this is something for all of us and we will all be judged by the words that we use. And so that leads us then as we continue our passage to the second pressing reality because as he's going to show us, this is not an easy task. Maybe some of us here would say, you know what, I've been trying for years to control my speech. Or when I came to Christ, I remember how hard that was. And so pressing reality number two, point number two today, in the next few verses, we see how our tongues crave control. Pressing rally number two is that my tongue craves control. That is why taming our tongue or the pursuit of it is a challenging task because it craves control. I want you to see in verse 5a for a moment, and then we're going to go back to verse 3. But in 5a, James says, so also the tongue is a small member. So as he's writing that, that should tell us he's making a comparison. So also. So he's made the comparison and then says the tongue is like these things. So let's go back to verse 3 and see how he's comparing the tongue and how the tongue craves control in our lives. He gives us two examples. He says it's like the bit that goes in the mouth of a horse. Strong, majestic animals, but if we put a bit in the mouths of horses, they obey us and we can guide their entire bodies. He also gives another example from their lives. These would have been really relevant for them. Agricultural, farming, and the ships now. He says this very large ship is guided by a very small rudder. It's not the size of the ship. It's not the size of the sail. It's the fact that the, 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 the pilot of the ship is able to control the entire vessel with this very small rudder. And then he comes into that transition in verse 5. So also, like the bit, like the rudder, small but powerful. Very capable of controlling in our lives. And so both of these examples suggest to us then that for you and I to think, and, and maybe even so far as to say how foolish we might be, to not think that our tongues can control our lives, to can indicate the path that we're on, is something that James would just stop us right there and say, whoa, 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 like the bit, like the rudder, like your tongue in your mouth, we need to keep watch because that tongue wants to direct the path that you are on. I want to show you uh, Matthew chapter 15, uh, verses 17 through 20. Uh, I want to read this on the screen, if we can put this there to follow along. This is what Jesus says uh, about the mouth. Do you not see that whatever goes into the mouth passes into the stomach and is expelled? It's an interesting way of writing. Then verse 18 says, but what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart. And this defiles a person or condemns a person. For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, slander. These are what defile a person. 
So again, this is what Matthew has to say about what comes out of our mouths is an indication then of what is going on in our hearts. And so our tongues, if we were to consider now James chapter 3, our tongues in our lives, they seek to control in how we speak, in how we react, in the words that we use. They want to crave the control in our lives because as Matthew is saying and as James is saying, it is an indication of what's going on on a deeper level. There was one commentator that said about this, that the tongue is the barometer of our spirituality. Just think about that. The tongue is the barometer of our spirituality. And so they went on to say, you show me one speech and I will show you the condition of their heart. That's pretty revealing for us. You show me your speech on any given day and, and that will reflect the condition of your heart. So let's just pause for just a moment and just think about the types of words and how our speech is being used every day. What would our speech indicate about the condition of our hearts? The things that we speak to or the things that we don't speak to. Things that we say in public or the things that we write in private. What would that indicate about our spirituality? Because our tongues are craving control. They want to indicate what is on the inside. Another way of showing you this, I'll show you on the screen, just an image of, of what exactly Matthew is saying and James is saying. If we can put that image up of the words that are coming out of our mouths. So we have to think about everything that we say and speak then is not just how we're formulating our dialogue and conversations with the people around us. It's not just how we communicate in our world. But what this patch is saying, if we go to the next slide, is that the words that come out of our mouths is an indication then of what is in our heart. And if our words and our speech are corrupted, it's because there's something going on at a deeper level where the Lord needs to work on our hearts. Maybe on the contrast, words that are being used to bring glory to God and bless him and speak words of encouragement to the people around us is an indication in our lives of a heart that has been regenerated and is being used or cultivated to want to proclaim what God has done in our lives as well. And so if we consider this reality today that our words are a reflection of our hearts, but also the reality that our tongues crave to control what is going on inside you, that should lead us then to very seriously want to evaluate what does my speech say about the condition of my heart? Or maybe will lead us today at the end of our message to say, Lord, I need you to continue to work on my heart. I'm not so sure that the words and speech that come out of me are a reflection of what I feel like you're doing in me or what you have done in me. Now, just in case maybe you've been tracking along and, and not feeling like this is close enough to home, I want us to see now our third reality. As we move through uh, chapter 3 in these verses, we come to the second part of verse 5 through verse 8 now, and I want us to see this pressing reality that my tongue can cause catastrophe. Your tongue can cause catastrophe. It's not a trivial topic that we're talking about today. 
It's not something that we can just take lightly as we think about our speech, but our tongues are capable of causing very serious consequences. If you look back in these verses here, again, James is comparing our tongues as a small member like this forest fire, you know, a relevant consideration for us today, caused by such a small f- a fire or spark. Think about the damage that that small spark does, that that unkept campfire did or however it began, but the entire forest is set ablaze and it stains the whole body. Our tongue is capable of wrecking everything else that's going on in our lives. Our tongues can cause catastrophe. If you know the name Samuel Coleridge, he was a British author, composer, Uh, he was a poet as well, and uh, Coleridge was known for saying about poetry that poetry is using the best words in the best order. Using the best words in the best order. He says that is what poetry is. Now if we think about our passage today, that's sort of what James is saying. He's encouraging us or exhorting us to think about our lives. As followers of Christ, we need to use the best words in the best order, and maybe we'd even add for the best purposes. So a relevant example of this in our world today would be the use of a teleprompter. Many of us have maybe seen teleprompters, uh, sides of a a speech, uh, someone making a speech, they have these plexiglass screens. And a teleprompter is meant to be used because maybe a company or a a party or a person is wanting to communicate the best words in the best order. And so as the speech is being given, as the person stands at the podium and the script rolls through, we've seen those moments, those videos, or it's been in the news where that person went off script. They began to say things in their own words and you can just feel and cringe with the script writers who are just feeling like this person needs to get back to the script, go back to the way things were supposed to be said. You're getting into trouble. You're digging a hole for yourself, and you watch them get into trouble as they say it or as they fumble with words, and you watch those videos thinking, oh, that's not the best words in the best order. Maybe some of us would react the same way if we were to see or hear our speech each day. We were to cringe thinking, oh, that's probably not how I should be using your words. But in those moments when we've seen someone go off track with their words, we need to maybe just pause and think, we've all had those moments. We don't all go, all go through life with teleprompters, but we've all had those moments where we've looked back and we've regretted. We've been challenged by something that we've said. Maybe, maybe it's something that should have been said. Maybe it's something that shouldn't have been said. Maybe it's something that we didn't say well. Now, I'm not saying that we said something that we didn't mean to say. Because I think as James would tell us in this last reality is that we always say things that we mean to say. Maybe we don't in that moment recognize the hurt or the pain that they will cause or it's it outweighs why we've wanted to say it because we've wanted to cause that. We wanted to get ahead. We wanted to be liked. We wanted to have control or power and so we've weighed the consequence and thought, in this moment, it's worth it. Maybe some of us 
uh, in our lives wish that we could have taken it back because we've said something and we didn't recognize in the moment that it was insensitive. Maybe we didn't recognize the cause it would have to the people around us. Proverbs speaks a lot about speech as well. Proverbs is a book in the Old Testament. It's a part of the wisdom literature. And I want to show you on the screen a number of different verses that talk about our speech and and what we need to think about in terms of using our words. So if we can put that out on the screen, I want to read a few of these verses in Proverbs, beginning in, in chapter 12, verse 18, which says this, There is one whose rash words are like sword thrusts. A worthless man plots evil and his speech is like scorching fire. Think about the weight of our words here. Thirdly, a fool's mouth is his ruin and his lips are a snare to his soul. And lastly, Proverbs 18, death and life are in the power of the tongue. Not in your will or your actions, but death and life are in the power of the tongue. Now maybe you're thinking as you kind of read through these or as you're thinking about speech today, well, you know what, I feel like, I feel like speech is something I have a general handle on in my life, in my relationships, in my workplace, in my education. You know, I feel like the people around me, you know, they probably would say that I have a pretty good handle on on speech. As I read through those, I, I don't necessarily feel like speech is something in my life that maybe I struggle with. I haven't caused damage like that. It's not like fire. I don't feel like I've been ensnared by it. But there is a whole other systematic picture within the Bible about our speech. And I want to put that on the screen for us just to maybe take a moment and just to look through all the different words that the Bible has to say about speech. So when you think about the tongue's catastrophe in our life, maybe it's not how Proverbs wrote it, but maybe it's gossip or slander. Or maybe in our lives we struggle with complaining and being ungrateful. Maybe we'll struggle with honesty. Maybe it's pride in our lives, spreading false rumors. Maybe it's false teaching. Think about some of these examples here and the catastrophe that our speech can cause. Maybe just be sensitive in this moment of how God might be speaking to you through his spirit about how we've used our speech in the last couple days. Because thinking about our speech affects our lives, but it also affects the lives of people around us. Throughout all of church history, we've seen a struggle to fight for the best words in the best order. To try to tame the tongue, to try and say what we mean to say, to try not to say certain things. We've seen this in church history as they've uh, protected creeds and particular doctrines wanting to preserve what the word of God says. They fought hard to not cause catastrophe with speech and words. We've seen this over generations and decades through denominations as they have seen doors closed or churches emptied because they are no longer saying what God's word says. Or maybe they've transitioned and begun saying things that God's word doesn't say. We also have our world filled with bad Bible teachers, 
People who do not use their words to communicate truthfully the full gospel message. Who do not share with their churches or congregations what God's word says in their life. Or maybe apply it to their life as they communicate it. Our tongue causes catastrophe all around us in our world. And often it's because we fail to see that our tongues are capable of causing catastrophe. So church, we need to see this in our lives today as well. Now I want you to look in your Bibles again at James chapter 3 and look at the beginning of verse 1. As we get into the practicality of now our passage, look at the beginning of verse 1. There's probably a title in your Bible. There's one in mine using the ESV here. And so at the beginning of this passage... As the writers and authors have put together the Bible, they often put in these titles that's not a part of the original language, but they put in these titles that help communicate or summarize for us what we're about to read. And if your Bible is like mine, you might have a title that says something like Taming the Tongue. I'm going to show you why this is somewhat ironic in this, these next few verses, because I want us to go down now to verses 7 and 8 and find out about how not so taming the tongue James wants us to think. Beginning in verse 7 again, so it says, For every kind of beast and bird, of reptile and sea creature, basically everything else in the created order, it has been tamed and can be tamed by mankind. And then look at verse 8. But no human being can tame the tongue. So maybe if we were to rewrite the title in our Bible, we should say, well, this passage is really about not being able to fully tame your tongue. Everything else in all of creation, all the animals, everything that we come across, tameable. But the tongue, James is saying, is not tameable. And he begins to describe with it uh, why it's not being tameable in the verses right before. Because of how restless it is or because of the evil that it is and the destruction that it causes in our lives. And so as we look at verses 7 and 8, we can be reminded of Genesis 1 and 2 when, when we are being reminded of how God gave this command, rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air. This is what James is saying. We have been able to do that. But the tongue has been untamable. So how do we do this? How do we pursue in our lives to live a life following Christ, set apart from the world in the, word, in the ways that we use our words and speech, yet can't achieve something fully, but are called to at least be on the road to try to do it? It's a bit of a tension that we find in our passage as we're going to work through our final point. And so as we think about the idea of taming, what we're talking about, by definition, is helping adapt it over a period of time. We do this with the created order, with animals. You take a wild animal, you're able to eventually adapt its instincts and be able to train it to sit or lie down or roll over or don't attack me. We're able to do this, but we are unable to do this with the tongue. But the reality is, is that even as James gives this comparison about something that's been tamed that has been wild, we have to recognize that deep down inside, a wild animal is still always going to be what? Wild. Capable of causing catastrophe. But the tongue is untamable. And so we should always be on guard that our speech and our lives are able to cause catastrophe. It shouldn't surprise us then 
in those moments that we are not yet in glory where God has fully glorified our speech. We find ourselves in a situation when we need to repent and change or ask God to work in us or think about the people that are around us in our lives and how they're influencing our speech to say, you know what, God, I need help in this. It's not tameable. It's not fully perfect yet. And just to help us think about this, I just want to show us a couple images to kind of nail home the idea that our tongue is untamable. I want to show you some animals that James is referring to. Let's look at the first one here. And our passage is saying that even the wild lion, as majestic as it is, let's go to the next slide, that in itself is able to be tamed. Let's go to the next image. Lions and then tigers. The tiger in our world, James writes and says, everything in creation, next image, is able to be tamed. You can tame the tiger. Lions, tigers, and who knows what the next one is? Bears. Let's go to the next slide. Oh, my. Even the bear has been able, next slide, to be tamed. And James says that for you and I, all of these things are tameable, but our speech, our tongue, our words is not tameable. I'll show you the next image. As you think about your speech, nice. And next slide. I want you to remember today or hear what James is saying. It is wild. And therefore, you and I need to expect moments in our lives until Christ returns and we're fully glorified that we need to always be on guard and keep watch over our speech. Even if you go through a season when you start to think in your life, you know what, I feel like I have a handle of this. I've, I've, you know, take the analogy or the illustration of the tamed animal. I feel like my tongue is being controlled. I'm able to watch my words or I'm not saying things that I shouldn't say or, or maybe I'm not using my words to take the Lord's name in vain or, or however that translates practically in your life right now. You need to remember that your tongue is always going to be wild. And so that takes us to our final pressing reality. As James comes to the end of this passage, I want us to see pressing reality number four. My tongue or my speech must be claimed for Christ. It must be claimed for Christ. That is the application today for you and I to pursue in our lives. We have to think about what this means for us. Now, if you see verse 10... He begins to tell us about how it's an issue when our tongue is not claimed for Christ. Look at verse 10. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. He says this is a problem because as he continues on, he says these things, the use of our speech in such a way for blessing and cursing ought not to be so. If we were to change the words in this verse, in these passage here in James 3, James is saying to us, if your speech is blessing Christ and you come to church on Sunday to worship and you offer prayers of praise and you talk about God's goodness and faithfulness and your speech is also being used to tear down and to curse and to demean people and to belittle the sanctity of life, that follower of Jesus ought not to be so. 
So we are called in our passage today, as James concludes this section of a greater letter, to think about how our tongues can be used to be claimed for Christ. Now let's just bring this home a little bit. This passage in our world today is not just about the words that come out of our mouths. We speak in all kinds of ways in our world today. We speak through emails. We speak through texting. We speak on all kinds of social media platforms. We can speak through the things that we post, maybe letters that you write. We speak through books that we write. We speak through eye rolling. When your parents ask you to do something or when you react to someone around you who says something that's just ridiculous. We speak when we're frustrated in traffic. We speak in our lives when we hit our heads on something. We speak when we think no one's watching. It's more than just the words that come out of our mouths. And I think what James would want us to recognize in those moments that when we catch ourselves, if we're aware enough to see those moments, they're indicating what's going on in our heart. And so as we're going to finish these verses today, I want us to think about what only God can do in our speech. I want to show you a quote from Augustine. Uh, this quote, I think, is helpful for us because as we're thinking about this topic Augustine had a very wise thing to say about how we pursue claiming our tongues or our speech for Christ. Notice in this passage, Augustine says, he does not say that no one can tame the tongue, but no one of men or women, so that when it is tamed, we confess that it is brought about by the pity, the help, and the grace of God. You can see that in this verse here in James 3 that no one in all of mankind has been able to do this, but God can control your speech because God can change your heart. And if God changes your heart to regenerate it, to love the things of Christ, you now love to use your words for the things of Christ. So even as we thought about just a moment ago about the different ways that we use our speech, I want you to bring that to Christ today. God, would you help me in these ways or in these mediums? God, in these moments, I know that I am prone to wander in my speech. Lord, I feel it. God, would you stir in me a love for you that would reflect the words that I use with the people around me or maybe even in private? And this isn't going to happen instantly. Some of us know in our lives that season where the Lord took time to slowly work on our language, to work on our response in those situations. Maybe some of you look back now and you think, wow, the way that I used to speak, how I used to talk, how I used to react, it's night and day different from what God has done in me. But it took time and it took hard work and it wasn't perfect and I made mistakes and I had to repent and ask for forgiveness. But the Lord was gracious to continue helping, just like Augustine says. And more and more, God uses you and refines your speech to become more like Christ. It's like what Paul writes when he says, when I was a child, I used to talk like a child. 
But as I became a man, I put childish ways behind me. That's the pursuit that we live in our lives. And so to help us think about this, I want to show you in Ephesians chapter 4, a great starting place in Paul's words. Paul says this as he writes this letter to the church in Ephesus. He says, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths. Maybe that's the first command for some of us today. Just let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths. It's just black and white. It's simple like that. But only such as good for building up. Maybe some of us today, it's the thought of, okay, so how do I refrain from speaking and how do I use my words to build up? And then he describes it as well. Maybe words that fit the occasion. They're just timely. They're well-placed. You know what? That was a word that I needed to hear. You know what? In this moment, that was such an encouragement to me. You saw a need and you spoke words that gave life to me. I needed you to say that. Words that give grace to those around us. Maybe that's just a small starting place if you're wondering, well, how do I begin this? It's just slowing down a bit. It's pausing. It's refraining, holding back, saying, God, help me. I want to let no corrupting talk come out of my mouth. I want to use my words to build up that are timely and well-placed that give grace to those around us. You know, parents, I just think about the opportunity you have as well to speak life into your children. To use your words to teach the word of God to them. To encourage them when they come home from a hard day at school. To remind them about what God's word says when the world teaches them something completely contradictory. To be there, to be silent in that moment when they just need you to be quiet and to listen and what that speaks. To whisper prayers with them. To cry out to the Lord to do what only God can do. I just feel like there's so many opportunities for parents in these ways. And so as we just kind of conclude today, I want us to take us back to the beginning just to think about our word count. I think what we see in James chapter 3 is an encouragement for us and a strong encouragement at that, that it's not just about speaking less. It's not about saying, okay, well, if, if I can't let any un- corrupting talk come out of my mouth, I'm going to completely say nothing. I'm going to be silent. That doesn't solve the heart issue. You could still have it going on within you. And so I want us to think today just about the fact that it's about the words that we use and not how much we speak and what we're saying in those moments. I want to finish our time together today by praying over us that the Lord would use us on this topic. That as maybe God has been stirring within you ways that today even we can begin to live this out, to begin to try to tame our tongues with the help of the Holy Spirit, that God would do in you a work that would bring glory and praise to his name. So would you join me as we pray? Father, we thank you for this passage in your word to us that speaks to such an important issue. Father, this is something that is hard for us because often in those moments when we don't think about our speech, we, we just don't often think about the fact that this is something that you command us to keep watch over. And so, Lord, maybe in these moments, it's the seriousness of controlling or watching over our speech. Maybe some of us here today, Lord, have never just thought about the concept that our speech is meant to bring blessing to you and to your name. Maybe some here, Father, have not really considered the fact that 
uh, there are consequences to our words. Maybe some here today, Lord, you have been speaking right to their heart and you just know that their speech is that area in their life that you want to work on in them. Father, we think about Paul's uh, words to the church in Rome, Romans chapter 10, verse 9, that we can use our words to confess that Jesus is Lord, that we can believe with faith, that we can confess to you, yes, Jesus, I give my life to you. I believe in the life, death, and resurrection of Christ, that you raised him from the dead. That's how we can use our speech. And yet also, Lord, that family member, that friend, that coworker, classmate, we can use our words to tear down. And so, God, today I would pray that you would move in all of us to consider the words that we use. That as we prayed today already, that we think about the words of our mouths, the meditations of our heart, Lord, would they be pleasing to you? Would they bring honor and glory to you that we would be set apart as a people that would look at how we speak or react in situations or uh, as they scroll through social media, they would see people that bring honor and glory to Jesus Christ by how we say or what we say or what we don't say, how we advocate for, how we defend that would bring honor and glory to the name of Jesus Christ alone. So, Father, thank you for meeting with us today. Thank you that your word is alive and active. Will we consider how we use our speech to bring honor and praise and glory to you? And we pray this in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. Amen.